As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Transfer Briefing from The Athletic. It's Monday, the 22nd of January. I'm Michael Bailey and on today's show... Manchester Coup as City CEO leaves for United. And therefore he's going to be one of, if not the most important appointment made by this new look ownership. Injured Salah is heading back to Liverpool. And I think it makes sense that he's doing the rehab then, with us or with our people. And Newcastle dig in over in-demand duo. But whether their resolve will be tested over the course of the last 10-12 days of the window, we'll have to wait and see. This is the Daily Transfer Briefing with Michael Bailey. First up, let's bring you right up to speed on a compelling weekend's football. Liverpool are five points clear at the Premier League summit after thrashing Bournemouth 4-0 on the south coast. That was thanks to a brace each from these two. Diogo Jota, second time. Nunez again. The Reds are really on a roll. Mo Salah will be back at the club soon too. He picked up a hamstring injury with Egypt at the Africa Cup of Nations last week. Salah will watch his country's final group game against Cape Verde tomorrow and then fly back to Liverpool for his rehab. Egypt then hopes Salah will be back fit and in the Ivory Coast come the semi-finals in little more than a fortnight's time. We'll see. Arsenal won for the first time in five games, smashing Crystal Palace 5-0 at the Emirates and piling the pressure on their boss, Roy Hodgson. And Ivan Tony scored on his Brentford return. They beat Nottingham Forest for their first win in eight. Moving on to Germany, this happened. Davies, Weiser still here. What an angle, what a finish and what a story. Mitchell Weiser with a rocket. Yes, that was Bayern Munich's first defeat to Werder Bremen in 32 games. That had been the longest winning streak between two clubs in German professional football. It was also a blow because Bayer Leverkusen did this. It's there! It's swung in and Hincapié met it! RB Leipzig had led twice at home, but that winner from Piero Hincapié in added time kept Leverkusen unbeaten this season and they now lead the Bundesliga by seven points. In Italy, Juventus won 3-0 at Lecce to overtake Inter at the top of Serie A, although Juve have played a game more. But the big story came from Udine, where Udinese's game with AC Milan on Saturday was suspended in the first half. 
Milan goalkeeper Mike Menon suffered several bouts of racial abuse from the home fans before informing referee Fabio Maresca. The game resumed after a short pause, with Milan going on to win 3-2. On the same day in the English Championship, South Yorkshire police began investigating a racist gesture allegedly aimed at Coventry midfielder Casey Palmer in their 2-1 win at Sheffield Wednesday. Yesterday, FIFA president Gianni Infantino called both incidents totally abhorrent and completely unacceptable. He also demanded matches to be automatically forfeited by clubs whose supporters racially abuse players. Let's head to Spain, where Real Madrid came from two down at half-time to win 3-2 at home to Almeria. Now, the visitors were not happy at all about this, claiming the game was stolen from them. Here's Guillermo Rai on why. So yes, it was the end of the game and all the Almeria players ran straight to the on-field referee, Francisco José Hernández Maeso, to complain angrily. Real Madrid had just beaten La Liga's bottom team 3-2 at the Santiago Bernabéu, but that didn't mean it was an easy game. We have the feeling that we have been robbed, said Almeria player Gonzalo Melero. Three plays and the resulting referee decisions with the VAR involved in all of them, at least the fury of the Almeria players, with Almeria 2-0 up. The referee awarded a penalty for handball, although the play was preceded by a possible fall from Real Madrid player José Lumato. Just four minutes later, Almeria made it 3-1, but the goal was disallowed for a fall on Bellingham. Please, please shout it from the Almeria bench, who didn't think it was that bad, but there was still another controversial action uh, in the 69th minute when Vinicius scored the, sec the second goal 2-2 and Hernández Maeso went to check it without seeing a handball on Vinicius shot, which depending on the replay was either with his arm or uh, his shoulder. Ancelotti defended the idea that the decision had been correct at the press conference, but Almeria through three players and their coach expressed their frustration. If we want to be the best league in the world, we are light years away from the Premier League, Melero concluded. Real remains second, a point behind Girona, who won 5-1 at home to Sevilla. A trio of goals in short succession. That was Artem Dovbik scoring a six-minute first-half hat-trick. Barcelona also won 4-2 at Real Betis. Xavi handed a full debut to centre-back Pau Kubasi, who celebrates his 17th birthday today. What a present that was, by the way. Finally for now, Lauren James scored a hat-trick as Chelsea stayed top of the Women's Super League with a 3-1 win over Manchester United. That's now seven goals at Stamford Bridge for James, meaning she's got more goals at the ground this season than any other Chelsea player. And you can go deeper on the latest WSL headlines with the latest full-time Europe podcast, which is out tomorrow. It may be that one of the biggest transfers during the January window actually doesn't involve a player at all. Manchester United have appointed Omar Barada as their new chief executive, which is pretty eye-catching given they've nicked him from Manchester City. Our window wizard David Ornstein broke the story on Saturday and he joins us now. David, some are calling this a coup for United, is it? Yeah, a coup, Michael, is certainly how it's being described to me by many across the industry because Omar Barada has a really good reputation as a professional and executive on both the sporting, the football side, and prior to that on the business, the commercial side. So you'll see reports and conversations doing the rounds that Manchester United have poached one of City's top executives and you know, in essence, yeah, they will be seeing this at Old Trafford as an amazing 
appointment. It's certainly a shock that we didn't see coming. Omar Barada is so key to what's been happening at City. He's one of the architects of uh, their on and off field success. He's been there for many years now. He's worked in uh, a number of different areas. And when you speak to people across the industry at City, elsewhere, um, they talk of somebody of, of great integrity, of quality, of great connections. Um, uh, he speaks four languages. He has uh, succeeded in pretty much every area that he's operated in. Um, and uh, not only on the, the men's football side, but also on the women's. Certainly, Manchester United were looking for the best in class, somebody that has vast experience and expertise, a proven track record of excelling in a high-level executive role at the top level of English world football who can handle the business operations, the uh, football operations and plenty more besides. Um, and they seem to have got the ideal candidate. Yeah, I suspect City will feel they've already got the people in place to make up for Barada's exit. In terms of at United though, what will his role be? Do we know much about that? The pursuit was led by Ineos. Uh, they identified him and carried out the charm offensive without really anybody knowing about it. It was quick, it was slick, it was discreet from what we're hearing. It was approved by the Glazers, who remain the majority shareholders, and therefore it's being presented as a joint appointment. The idea will be that he becomes the most senior executive. He takes executive leadership on both the football side and the business side. Um, he will have people reporting into him. He will have a seat on the board of directors. He will report into the owners. Um, no doubt he will be building out a team around him and collaborating with the likes of Sir Dave Brailsford, Jean-Claude Blanc, uh, Sir Jim Radcliffe on picking some more people. We've heard so much about a potential sporting director, head of recruitment. And so it's all the functions that you would imagine of a, of a chief executive day-to-day -day running of Manchester United. And therefore, he's going to be one of, if not the most important appointment made by this new look ownership regime at Manchester United. As we said, people weren't expecting this, but it, is there a possibility this could be the first of switches from City to United? Maybe people will want to follow Barada? I don't think it's necessarily going to be some regular kind of back and forth and flow and movement of staff between the two clubs, execs, players. I think this is more a one-off. I would suggest it's a rare occurrence that we're going to see uh, movement between the two local rivals. I would take this particular appointment as a, a deal in isolation because Barada is, um, is a top leading executive and Manchester United are clearly looking for some of those if they want to make up some of the ground that they've lost on the likes of City. Thanks, David. And you can read more about Barada's appointment and potential impact at Old Trafford, including Charlotte Harper's piece on why it could be good news for Man United women over at The Athletic. You're listening to The Daily Transfer Briefing with Michael Bailey. So that's a big executive January transfer story, but what about the player market latest? Well, Aston Villa have rejected West Ham's bid to sign Colombian striker John Duran on loan. Javier Manquillo has left Newcastle, joining La Liga side Celta Vigo in a permanent move. He was due to be out of contract this summer. 
And speaking of Newcastle, speculation continued over the weekend, linking Bayern Munich with Kieran Trippier and Trippier's former club, Atletico Madrid, with a bid to sign striker Callum Wilson. Chris Woff is the Athletic's Newcastle correspondent, and he's with us now. Chris, what do you expect to happen with the pair? Essentially, Newcastle having, for about 36 hours, it was a little bit unclear, certainly about Trippier, what was going to happen on that. It seems, certainly from noises at the very, very top of the club, that Newcastle are determined to keep a hold of both. Certainly, Eddie Howe still values both. Wilson is 31, Trippier is 33, and so you could argue, with 18 months left on the contract, in some ways, economically, given Newcastle have issues for with their profitability and sustainability rules, that they need to offload players, it might make sense. But Kieran Trippier is their on-field captain. He's basically been the standard bearer post-takeover, and Callum Wilson is one of only two fit senior strikers Newcastle have. Actually, I say fit, he's been out injured, but he will be back in a week or so. One of only two frontline strikers Newcastle have, and they are determined to keep a hold of both, but whether their resolve will be tested over the course of the last 10, 12 days of the window, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it's been a tough old season for Newcastle so far. This feels like the last thing they need. Very much the last thing that they need. I mean, really, the problem they have is that they do actually, in an ideal world, they need to sell someone, but they only have, in the last match, for example, Eddie Howe only had really 11, 12 fit senior players. His bench was filled with either reserves who he doesn't really want to play with or youngsters. And not many players are going to come back in the course of next week or so. So you can't afford to lose bodies for a start. But also, Newcastle actually need to move players out if they're going to bring players in. And Eddie Howe's determined to sign a midfielder if he can. Joe Linton's out for the rest of the season now with a groin problem. They only have three fit senior midfielders, one of whom is a 17-year-old and Lewis Miley and shouldn't really be playing as much as he is. But Newcastle can't afford to actually commit any money this month in terms of pay a loan fee, for example, this month because they would then probably go above the PSR limit. What they're looking to do is a loan with an obligation to buy and basically commit money going forward. But that's going to be very difficult to get other clubs to do so if they could move someone on that may give them wiggle room but really the players they want to move on nobody else wants and so they're in this catch-22 situation of do they let Trippier or Wilson go seems they don't want to but that might mean that getting in a midfielder becomes more and more difficult that all being said Chris we're halfway through the January window now would it actually be the case that keeping the same group would be classed as a success or do they have to get someone in as things stand, speaking to someone very high up in the club a couple of days ago, the response was that it was a coin toss as to whether Newcastle would be able to sign anyone. So we just have to wait and see as to whether they can. It, w- it would be a positive now in in a, in the smallest sense if they don't lose either Trippier or Wilson, but I don't think any Newcastle fan, if the window closes and they haven't signed anyone, would say that the, this January can be seen as a success. That was Chris Woff. And remember, you can keep up to date with all the breaking transfer news in our daily live blog, which I'll be hosting each day this week over at the Athletic website and app. So what's on the football menu for today then? Well, Brighton host Wolves in this round's final Premier League game. That's live on TNT Sports in the UK from 7.45pm or USA Network from 2.45pm Eastern. And if you'd rather go for an Italian, then there's Inter versus Napoli in the Supercoppa Italiana final. That's in Riyadh from 7pm on Viaplay in the UK or Paramount Plus from 2pm in the US. That's all for today's Daily Transfer Briefing. I've been Michael Bailey with Mike Zimmerman in the producer chair, Ian McIntosh, our executive producer. Tim Spears will be looking after you all tomorrow. Until then, have a great start to your week. The Athletic.